So you can turn your Bibles over to Matthew, the 17th chapter. We started this section on yieldedness last week. We studied how to develop our spirit. We saw that there is a faith realm and that there is a doubt and unbelief realm. God wants us to operate in the faith realm. Our flesh tends to move into the doubt and unbelief realm. We start off with things in the, in the area of faith, but then we slowly seem to be pulled in the area of doubt and unbelief. And that's the thing that we need to guard against to make sure we don't, don't allow it to go. Because faith is where we're going to meet God. That's the section, that's the quadrant. We went over those four quadrants last time. Faith is the area, being willing and being in faith, that's the area where we're going to meet God. And that's where we need to stay. And it is a battle because I tell you, our flesh, the kingdom of Satan, all these things, the world, they're all trying to pull us into the area of doubt and unbelief because it's easier to be a doubter of the things of God than it is to be a believer. But we are called to be believers and to be in faith. We looked over the, the idea of yieldedness. Sometimes, as we increase our the opposition, the test that we're in, we find out what we are really yielded to. Because when things are going good, it's not really a test of who you're yielded to. But when you get stressed, when something begins to push you to the edge, then you find out what you're really yielded to. You're operating in faith for healing. And that's all good as long as it's just a cold, flu, headache here or there. But boy, you start facing something like cancer, something heavier, and it can move you over into the area of doubt and unbelief because you faced a greater test, a greater opposition. Something greater came against you. We looked at the story here in Matthew chapter 17 where Jesus had His three disciples and they were up the Mount of Transfiguration, they came on down and they found a man who had brought their, his son to the disciples that he would get rid of this epilepsy because he said when he had these fits, he would be thrown into the fire and thrown into the water. And Jesus proceeded not to commence to heal him, but to cast out the demon spirit. And apparently the disciples had done the same thing because they came to Jesus later on and said, how come we could not cast out the spirit? And of course, we went over Jesus' words before, but let's go ahead on back there. Matthew, the 17th chapter, verse 14. Just take a look at the, well, let's read the whole thing. And when they had come in the multitude, come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought them brought him to your disciples, that they could, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was, was cured from that very hour. And his disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say that this mountain... Move from here to there, and it will be moved. Nothing will be impossible to you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. We've looked at this scripture a number of times, but
But we see first off the disciples went after the right thing. They went after a demon spirit. They sensed the demon spirit was behind it. God gave them revelation. However it was, they came after the demon spirit, but they said the demon spirit wouldn't go. And so then Jesus had uh, come up against this. And we saw uh, last week we looked at the verse where Jesus kept saying to the man who, who came out of the tombs, the man who had a legion of demons, he kept saying to him, come out of him, come out of him, come out of him. And the, demon weren't, the demons weren't listening. They stayed there. We examined that part of it. That sometimes you need to continue to go after something. But why couldn't we cast him out? And his answer was, because of your unbelief. What is the reason why they could not cast out the demon? Because of their unbelief. Didn't he answer the question directly? The answer is not because they didn't pray and fast. That is not the answer. What he says, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. He is not talking about the demon because when he asked the question, why couldn't we cast them out? He didn't say because you didn't go pray and fast. In fact, Jesus even taught himself when the Pharisees came and they said, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus said, you don't fast as long as the bridegroom is present. When the bridegroom leaves, then you fast. So he was not expecting his disciples to fast, was he? But he was expecting them to cast out this demon. You can tell that from his answer. When he came on down, found out that the nine could not cast him out, he said, well, that's because you haven't prayed and fast yet, but you'll be able to get there. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. So he expected them to take care of this. But they hadn't been praying and fasting and Jesus was okay with that. So there is not a prayer and fasting demon. The reason you can't cast out a demon is because of unbelief. He says this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. He's talking about unbelief. The unbelief. This kind of unbelief. This kind of deep-seated, deep-rooted, down on the inside. You can't even tell that it's their unbelief. Because if they, if it was just simple unbelief, they would have known, you know what? We just didn't believe. They wouldn't be asking them. Why couldn't we cast it out? They would have just, they would have answered their own question. Well, we knew, we, we said the right things, but we didn't really believe it. We can have an unbelief that festers on the inside of us that we're not even aware of. And Jesus says this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. So we've talked about that a number of times before. Don't really need to get into all that. We're out here for a different purpose on this one. But as we go through life, there are things that cause actions and decisions on our part. And one of the things is sense realm. We have sense realm actions and decisions that we make. The problem comes in with the believer is when we make sense realm actions and decisions and act like they're spiritual. That's where the problem comes in. Now, we don't do it to try and snow anybody. We do it a lot of times out of ignorance. We're just not sure. But sense realm actions and decisions, these are they come from an impulse my brain gives me. Doesn't your brain give you an impulse to eat, drink, breathe, walk, see? It also tells you to sin and to act selfishly, doesn't it? That's all a sense realm thing. That's your, that's your own self telling it. That's your five senses. This is where it comes from. It comes from your five senses. The decisions of a sense realm, action or decision is based on your, first off, your five senses. What you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you touch. Your five senses. These are the things that are going to bring this, this in, to bring the information in. If you pick up on something 
by what you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you feel. If you make the decisions based off them, they are not supernatural. They're natural. There is nothing wrong with natural decisions. Usually. If you taste a piece of meat and it tastes bad and you spit it out, what was that decision based on? Was it based on, well, my spirit just didn't feel like it was right. <laughs> no, it wasn't that, was it? It didn't taste right. It tasted spoiled. It tasted too salty. It tasted too bland. It tasted too spicy. It tasted something that didn't taste right to you and you spit it out. You didn't like it. But it was based on your senses. Not all sense realm decisions are bad ones. Not all sense realm decisions are anti-God. God sometimes expects you to make sense realm decisions. And it's fine just to realize it's a sense realm decision. It's a decision based on what I feel. It's a decision based on what I see. It's a decision based on what I hear. You know, sometimes we teach things based on sense realm. And there's nothing wrong with it. If someone comes to you and they say, I'm not sure what to do about such and such. And you proceed to teach them the Word of God on it, what you base it on? The Spirit? No. You based it on the sense realm. You based it on what you heard. They came to you and asked you a problem. Asked you something. Jesus answered many questions based on the sense, based on the sense realm. Now, He may have relied on His Spirit to get the answer. But the reason he's answering the question is based on his senses. The disciples came and asked him, why could we not cast it out? That's not a spiritual spiritual thing that Jesus got into it. He may be something that he picked up in the spirit that he relayed to them. But the reason he got into it was simply because they asked. How many times does Jesus answer and say? Well, Jesus answers and says because someone asked. So he heard it. How many times did Jesus heal based on what he saw? And Jesus, seeing the multitudes, healed them because he had compassion for them. That was based in the sense realm, wasn't it? And there's nothing wrong with that, is it? Now, the power to heal didn't come from the sense realm. But what got him started in that was a sense realm decision. So see, it's okay to have some sense realm decisions. I just want you to get you to understand that. Sense realm decisions are not bad because they're based on the senses. Nothing wrong with that. I dare say that most people got married based on the sense realm. Now the spirit may have gotten involved too, but the thing that got your attention first was generally something on the senses, wasn't it? What you see, what you heard, things of that nature. So decisions are based on the input we receive from the five senses, first off. And secondly, imagination. That goes beyond your sense realm, but sometimes we have imagination. How many times have we made decisions based on imagination? We begin to imagine the economy getting worse. We begin to imagine what happens when that sneeze turns into something bigger. We begin to imagine the report on swine flu. What happens when that comes here? We can imagine stuff, can't we? We haven't sensed it yet. We haven't heard it. We haven't seen it. We haven't felt it. But I can imagine it. That's why the Word of God says, cast down vain imaginations. Sometimes these vain imaginations rise up against the things of God. You get a pain in your side and something rises up on the inside of you. Vain imaginations. 
fear. Things of this nation. Based on an imagination. Based on something that you sensed. Or based on something that you thought. So that it, it, can get into a ba- it can get into a bad situation when you don't get a handle on this. But how many times have you gone on down the road and it's lunchtime and you say, hmm, I wonder where I should stop for lunch. Do you pray about it? What do you do most times? I wonder what I feel like eating. I just had pizza yesterday. I don't really feel like a hoagie. Don't we do that on sense realm? Is that okay? Yeah. That's all right. You can make decisions based on the sense realm. But never let the sense realm overtake the spirit. In the sense realm, actions are produced based on the understanding I take from what is received. Very often we can take a wrong understanding of what is received. And that can be a problem. Sometimes somebody may say something to you and you get a wrong understanding of it and make a decision based on it. You get yourself in trouble that way. Or begin to say and do something contrary to what should be done. So this is the sense realm. Now the spirit realm actions are different. Spirit realm actions and decisions, this is the impulse of my spirit. We're not talking about conscience here, we're talking about spirit. The impulse of my spirit tells me to pray, worship, love, My Spirit tells me, study the Word. Go over this area. Study this out. My Spirit tells me, act on the Word you know. These are things that come from my Spirit. These are Spirit realm actions and decisions. But they come up in my Spirit. And I need to listen to it. When I do not listen to my Spirit, I become numb to it. The same way you can become numb to sense realm. Can we not become numb to sense realm? When you were younger and mom used to always bark out orders, say something to do, don't forget to do this. Did we not sometimes turn a deaf ear to it and didn't hear it? Why? Because we didn't, li- didn't listen to it. We wanted to kind of put that out. Well, the same thing in the Spirit. If you don't listen to it, if the Spirit of God says you need to pray. Oh, I don't need to do that now. I don't see anything then it leads me to pray. I don't feel anything that would take me into the area of praying. I don't imagine anything that I had to pray for. I'm trying to take that spiritual leading and verify it on my senses. You can't do it. You cannot verify a spiritual leading by your senses. And if you try and do it, you're going to disregard what's in the spirit for what's in the sense realm. And that's when you get into trouble. You're not training your spirit this way. You're training your spirit to become less sensitive to God. Every time that you do it. Sometimes you get that impulse to pray instead of arguing with God and say, well, I can't right now. This really isn't a good time. If only it was an hour sooner. If only it wasn't now. You know, it's, it's, you know I'm working now or i got this going on now. And yet, a friend of yours will call in 10 minutes and you'll take some time to talk with them. Oh boy, what are you telling? What are you telling God? Not good things. We've got we to gotta be sensitive to the things of our spirit. I've got to train myself that when I hear that, I respond. When I hear it, I listen. I just go. That's what military boot camp is good for. They train you to some things. 
believe one of the things they train you to is a whistle. You hear that whistle, you jump. You hear that commander's voice, you jump. You hear that commander say, do this, you don't question why. Because they've taught you to question why things happen that aren't good. <laughs> they train you. When you hear the command, you obey. But you've got to train your spirit to do the same thing. Listen to that. This is increasing our yieldedness. As more, as the more we do this, the more we become yielded to the spirit realm. And that's what we have to do. We have to become yielded to the spirit realm. Remember looking at that? Look at Creflo Dollar's uh, quote we brought in about being yielded. When a servant of Satan meets a servant of God, the victor is the vessel that is most yielded to its master. We need to become more yielded to our master. When he says something, we listen. When he says pray, we pray. When he says study, we study. When he says worship, we worship. When he says love that one, we love that one. Hmm. In the spirit realm, the decisions here are based on the input we receive in Revelation. Revelation is one. The Spirit of God will reveal things to you. These are things that transcend your sense realm. The things that are revealed in the area of the Spirit are not things that you will see, hear, touch, taste, think. Imagine they're going to they're go past your five senses. They're going to go past your imaginations. These are things that are revealed to you. Peter, when he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said to him, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. The spiritual revelation. It was revealed to him and he acted on it. He spoke on it. He acted in such a way. You're going to receive revelations from the spirit realm and you need to act on those things. Decisions based on the input we receive. First off, by revelation. Secondly, by illumination. Revelation, things I have no knowledge of. Illumination, something I have knowledge of and suddenly get light on. Oh, now I see what that verse is meaning. Now I see what that what, what God said. Oh, I understand what God said about that now. Now I see. Light comes on. Illumination comes in. Revelation, illumination. These are the things that spirit realm actions and decisions are based on. God turns on the revelation and He gives us the revelation. God turns on the light and illumination comes in. Actions are given based on the understanding I am given from what is received. Actions are produced based on the understanding I am given from what is received. God has given me things. God has given me an understanding of, of the of what of revelation I have. I have an understanding of it and I need to have some actions based off of it. How many times have we had revelation on the Word of God and that excited us for a week? And then we kind of let it go away. So we've got to write some things down and come back to it. Keep working on that. You know, God, you gave me this. This is the thing you gave me. I'm going to hang on to this. I'm not going to let this go. So we have sense realm actions. We have spirit realm actions and decisions. We've got to spend more time in the spirit realm understanding that sometimes we are going to make sense realm ones and sense realms are not bad. But sense realm overriding spirit realm is bad. That's no good. If I receive something in my spirit and my senses are contrary to it, I cannot let sense realm rule over it. I can't do it. 
I've got to let spirit realm rule. Sometimes, though, we pick up things in the sense realm and we want to act on them like they're spirit realm. And that's where Christians get into trouble. Because sometimes we have imagined something and claimed it to be a revelation. But we just imagined it. Because I don't know the difference between the voice of my mind and the voice of my spirit. But I'll go on off and I'll begin to talk to people about this imagination. I can see this happening. I can envision this. I can see that this is something that I'm going to have, I'm going to do, or I'm going to move into. But it's an imagination. It's not something that came from the revelation of God. Because I haven't developed my spirit to know the difference. What would happen, go back to the military area, go back to the military boot camp. What would happen if you as a military guy in there and, and you know that when your commander speaks, you must listen and you imagine your commander saying something, I want you to go in the mess hall and eat all you want. I want you to go and sleep in in the morning. You've worked hard. You've really put out a lot of effort. I want you to sleep in in the morning. Thank you, commander. And you go on in, hit the, hit the rack, and you sleep in in the morning, and they wake you up for extra duty because you overslept. And what do you say? No, no, sergeant said so. Master sergeant said it was okay. He said, sleep in in the morning. And Master sergeant comes in and said, there's no way. <laughs> I didn't say that. Just because you imagined it to be so and passed it off as the master sergeant's words doesn't mean it's going to hold water, will it? That's out of character for the master sergeant. How many have ever heard of boot camp? Somebody said, you know what, just sleep in tomorrow. You ever heard that story come out of boot camp? Did you ever hear anybody say, go in there and just eat all you want to? Get an extra helping. You know what? Don't run four miles today. Just run two. Is that the kind of stuff they say in boot camp? No. What do they say? What, you don't want to run four miles? Fine, you run eight. <laughs> Jolly's shaking his head yes. That's what they, That's more in line. That's right. You've got to know the character of the person. <laughs> you know the character of the person, you can say yes, no, that's where they're going to go with the thing. But sometimes we get these things in the sense realm and we pass them off a spirit realm. And then we have a failure. And we haven't trained, we haven't trained ourselves on a thing. We're not training ourselves to listen to the spirit. We're training ourselves that the sense realm is the spirit. We're training ourselves to be confused and have problems. And then we get in a situation like the disciples were in. We're doing the right thing. We're saying the right stuff. But the demon isn't listening. It's because we've gotten this area messed up. We've gotten confused. And we fall into doubt and unbelief. We don't even know it. Let's take a look at some bold actions and decisions. See what they're based on. Mostly we're going to spend time on the last one. But let's just go over some other ones that we've, we've uh, looked at before and they should be fresh in your mind. When Abraham was going down to Egypt, God told, told him, Abraham, I'm going to take you into a land of plenty. I'm going to take you into the land of Canaan. And he gets to the land of Canaan and what's he find? Famine. And so he says, there's famine in the land of Canaan. And so Abraham says, I'm going to go down to Egypt. But nowhere are we told that God said to go down to Egypt. He made a decision to go down to Egypt based on his senses. 
Now, we're never told that he shouldn't have. But we're never told that he should. All we have is the Word of God that said, go to the land of Canaan. It didn't say, visit the land of Canaan and then go down to Egypt. It did say, go down to the land of Canaan. That's where I want you. And so he goes on down to Egypt and on his way down there, he gets the idea, the Egyptians are going to like my wife. So I need to come up with a scheme. And he comes up with a scheme, gets himself in trouble with the, with Pharaoh. Gets himself in trouble with his wife. Gets himself in trouble all, all over. And then he has to leave. Then he ends up back in the land of Canaan anyway. But he made that decision based on his senses. He might try and pass it off as something spiritual, but it was based on his senses. We're not told that it was wrong. We're not told that it was right. But we do recognize that it's different from what God said originally to do. When Moses began to deliver the children of Israel on his own, and he failed, we see that Moses pronounced himself a failure, didn't he? I failed at this. So he pronounced himself a failure and pronounced himself no good for the call of God, and he fled out into the wilderness. Later on, God brought him on back, and he goes on in and he, he executes what God said to do in the first, first plague, in the first demonstration of the power of God. And what happens to the children of Israel? Their work quota is the same, but now they don't get straw. That they still make the same number of bricks, but they don't get straw. And so times are tough for them, and they all get upset. And Moses comes back to God and says, Glory to God, this is going well. <laughs> now what's he do? Man, I failed again. It's just like before. I have failed again. And he's seen himself a failure. But what's he basing his decision of being a failure on? What he's hearing, what he's seeing, and what he's feeling, and what he's imagining. Because his imagination, I'm sure, are not real good at this point. So he pronounces himself a failure. But it's based on this sense realm. He got the spiritual call, but now he's basing a decision on whether he succeeded or, or, or whatever based on his senses. But that's the last we see of that part of Moses. When he comes back with the next one, the next plague, and it fails, you don't see Moses ever shake his head again and say, well, I don't know if I did it right. Moses is strong all the way up into the tenth plague when Pharaoh says, you will not see my face again. And Moses turns to him and says, that's right, I will not. Because by the time this one gets done, you're going to kick us out and you'll never see me again. And he was right. And then he gets before the Red Sea. And he says, do not fear. The Egyptians you see now, you will never see again. What's he basing that on? Is there anything in the sense realm? No. They have no weapons. They have all the weapons. They have the Red Sea on one side. They got cliffs on the other side. They got a mountain pass. And they're coming out the mountain pass. The valley that's between. There's, there's no way out. What's he basing it on? Just what God said. And he's making a declaration about it. The Egyptians you see now, you're never going to see them again. That's it. He has learned how to take that revelation, that illumination that comes from the Spirit, and make decisions based on it, and not let the sense realm override it. That takes training. It doesn't happen automatically. It takes training. Joshua in battle. You can pick any of them. Jericho. He goes to Jericho. He gets in his spirit what the, how to battle the folks at Jericho. March around the city. 
One time each day for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. Throughout that time, you will not speak a word. After the end of the seventh day, marching around it seven times, the walls will fall. Very good, sir. So he goes on out and he looks at those walls. Do those walls look like they're about ready to fall? Walls look pretty strong. Not really seeing what Russ going around the wall is doing. Vibrations aren't all that great. He's got sense. Doesn't he have sense data coming to him? Doesn't he have some vain imaginations that are coming out? Don't you think the people on the wall are helping out with some of those vain imaginations? Yeah. Absolutely. How about over an AI? What's his senses telling him? Well, he spoke out what his senses tell him. We're, we're, you brought us here. Now we're going to die. Wasn't going so well. How about when the five kings came down against him? What's his senses telling him? This is too much at one time. I'd rather take them on one at a time. Not all five at once. That's probably what his senses are telling him. But God says, go in and do the battle. Go in and I'll deliver them to you. But turn over in your Bibles to Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter. It's a story we haven't got into as many times as some others. But take a look at what Jeremiah has received in his spirit. Verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Now, understand the first word. These are the words that he had already spoken out. But now another word came. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold. Boy, I can't even say. <laughs> Behold, Hanam, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, By my field which is in Anath, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Someone is coming to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Someone is going to come to you to buy their field. What was the previous word? Previous word was, the Chaldeans are coming. They're going to conquer the city. They're going to take the king captive. And now the second word is... Now, does Jeremiah believe the first word? Absolutely. The second word is, your uncle's going to come and ask you to buy some land. Do you see any problem in this? First word, Chaldeans are coming. They're going to conquer the land. They're going to take the city. They're going to take the king captive, which means they're going to set up their own king. 
They're taking possession of the, of the place. Second word. Your uncle wants to sell you some land. He's going to come to you to sell you some land. To the prison where Jeremiah is to buy some land. Can you imagine the guards? The uncle comes to the guard to the gate. I need to see Jeremiah. We don't let many people see Jeremiah. What is your business to see Jeremiah? I want to sell him some land. Oh, this should be good. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Let him in. Let's see if Jeremiah, the guy who prophesies about the Chaldeans coming to conquer the land, let's see if he buys the land. This will be great. Then my uncle's son came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please, buy my field that is in Anath, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew this was the word of the Lord. How many of you are still questioning? <laughs> buy land? Now? With the Chaldeans coming? Who conquer the land? Can you imagine that? The Chaldeans come and they conquer the land and you show them a bill of sale. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. You can't take that one. I bought it. <laughs> I have a receipt. Wow, we didn't know that you had a receipt. gone. We thought that was free and clear. So verse 9, I recognize the hand of the devil to steal my money. <laughs> so I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. What's he doing with 17 shekels of silver in prison? Like to know what else he has there. Most of the time I've seen prisoners they don't get to carry money in there. And if they did carry money in there, it wouldn't be there for much longer. And I signed the deed and sealed it. <laughs> Took witnesses. Of course, if the Chaldeans come, you want to ask the witnesses and said, you know, I, I bought it. And weighed the money on the scale, so I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and customs, and that which was open. And gave the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neriah, in the presence of my uncle's son. In his presence. And in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed. Before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Apparently this is a big whole lot of people are coming watching this thing, this thing here. We got witnesses, we got the most, bunch of the rest of the Jews coming around. How many of you are there just watching? Wait a minute. Isn't this the guy? Don't you think the king when he gets word of this, let him in. Let him in. This is the man who prophesied about the Chaldeans coming. He's buying land. Let them in. Don't you think the king couldn't use this? Jeremiah prophesied bad things about this. But now he's buying land. Hmm. Why do you think he's buying land? Maybe he knows something. Maybe he knows that the word he was telling you wasn't from God. And he's going to capitalize on this land. Once we defeat the Chaldeans. 
Then I charge Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both these purchased deeds, which is sealed, and this deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last for many days. You know, you put something in an earthen vessel, they do last for many days. We have scrolls that have managed decades and centuries and all this time because they were in earthen vessels. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Who is he saying this to? All the folks they led into the prison or led into the courtyard to see this miraculous thing of the prophet Jeremiah buying land in a condemned land. For thus says the Lord, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now when I had delivered the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them the great, the mighty one, whose name is the Lord of hosts. You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day and in Israel and among other men. And you have made yourself a name as it is this day. You have brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You have given them this land of which you swore to your fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Look, the siege mounds. They have come to the city to take it. And the city has been given in the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. There you see it. And you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses. Yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. What do you think he's saying? What in the world do you mean to do with this? You had me spend the money, give the money. For what? Property the Chaldeans are going to take. But God says, no, no, no. This is the word to them. Not only are the Chaldeans going to take it, but Israel is going to come back and you're going to buy and sell fields, buy and sell houses again. And when they do, I want this deed to be until then because this property will be yours. And then, of course, you have the God's response to Jeremiah after that. But this is something that would come against your sense realm, wouldn't it? That the Spirit of God said, go and buy land. If the Spirit of God said, California is going to have a great earthquake, go and buy land. A great tidal wave is coming to New York City. Go and buy land. (laughs) Would you do it? But see, this is where it comes in. Where you receive something in the Spirit, but your senses 
are seeing something. You look outside, you see the siege wall. You see the army of the Chaldeans coming against your city. You hear the stories about the other cities that have fallen. The other land that has been taken. And here are the Chaldeans coming against Jerusalem. The capital city. Where the king is. And it's looking like they're going to win. And God has said they're going to win. This is where the training really goes on. And so when the Spirit of God comes to you, or when the Word of God comes to you and says, you will do this, this shall happen for you, and then you look around and you see in your senses something different, what happens? What wins out? We've got to hang on to the thing that our spirit is telling us. Just like Jeremiah did. Now, understand, Jeremiah went along with this thing and he just said, well, all right, well, what, you know, after I got that word from God and then my uncle's son came in and well, then I knew. Then I knew. And he went ahead and did it. And it doesn't look like he's wrestling with this at all. But then afterwards we hear him praying to God. Great prayer to God. Oh, wonderful things he says in that. Right at the end. And then you have me by land? But he did it. Didn't show any question about it at all. And what a sign to all the people who are standing around. Because up till then they're questioning, why is Jeremiah doing this? But then all of a sudden he stands up and he says, this place is going to fall into the hands of the Chaldeans. But we're coming back. God says we're coming back. And we will once again buy and sell in this land. Deeds and houses. And I'm getting to start on that. Here is my deed. And we're going to lock this up. And we're going to put this for when the years go by and we come back into this land again. What a testimony. Working on yieldedness means that when your senses tell you something different from what God has said, you go with what God has said. It takes training. It takes training. You must train yourself to do this. It doesn't come easy. How many of you all know in any field that you specialize in? Many of you have, uh, have, have uh, you know, musical abilities or athletic abilities or certain specialties and things that you've done. And all of them take training, don't they? Mm-hmm. It doesn't come easily. It takes training. And because of that training, you're trained that as soon as you see this, as soon as you hear this, as soon as this happens, training takes over. And you begin to respond the way that you're supposed to respond. You begin to do what you're supposed to do. My wife was a dancer for all those years. And they would practice and practice and practice. Why? So that when you're going through the the performance, you don't have to think each time. You just do it. You just come out there and you do it. You've been trained to do it. You've been trained to go along that way. So that when you're here, you you just do this. Many people are in the medical profession. And you're trained that when certain things happen... Instantly, training takes over and you kick in and you go into the mode to to take care of the problem, take care of the situation. And that's what we need to do. We need to train ourselves on the things of the Spirit. We need to train ourselves to be yielded to the right thing. But training does not involve yielding to what is sense realm, pretending it's Spirit. You will train for the wrong thing. Train the wrong way. It isn't going to help you. You've got to train the right way. 
You fall back on your, on your training. It's like driving a car. In this country, we're driving on what side of the road? The right side of the road. If you go over to Europe and you start driving over there, don't you have to constantly switch sides of the road? Or is it the other way now? Well, the, yeah, but Italy, we don't count them. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> Italy's back on the right side? Well, they lined up, didn't they? Good for them. We're working on the rest of Europe then. All right, you go over to one of those other European countries and they're all driving on the left side of the road. And you're used to driving on the right side, but you're thinking about it and you're processing. No, we drive on the left side here and you're thinking about it and you've got it going. But as soon as you get into a traumatic situation, what do you do? Revert to where your training goes. I tell this to my son all the time. That whoever invented the concept of putting the horn of the car anywhere else but in the center of the steering wheel should be shot. Because when you get into a crisis situation, what do you do? You go with what your training tells you. And since you were three years old and someone went and bought you that car that had the horn where? In the center. And you're trained since young to hit the center. And now what happens if you hit the center of your... your th- Nothing! I don't know when the last time was I had a car that had a horn in the center. But I'm still pushing the center. <laughs> Who did that? They even put it on the... the didn't they put it on the, the, the um, side there for a little bit? Well, somebody did that. Somebody had it on, the, on one of the turn signal things, something like that. You could toot a horn that way. So how ridiculous was that? But you go back to your training. You train. All those years you're training. And when you're in a crisis situation, you need to lay on the horn. You go to the center. And it's not there. Then you've got to think, where is it? Where is the horn? <laughs> and by then you don't need it anymore. I mean, I'm not one who uses the horn all that much, but when you need it, it should be there in the center. No, I don't do that. When you when you do the horn, you're 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 doing the horn. You're not. I don't for the horn. I hit the horn. That's what I want to do. It's crisis. This is this is this is the problem. It's training. You want to get yourself so trained that no matter what, you will do what God said, even when your senses tell you something different. That's what you'll do. That's how you learn it. What did God say I was supposed to do here? That's what I need to do. When you are involved in low-level situations, see, when you're three-year-old and you have that nice little car that you can sit in and beep the horn, are you in a crisis situation? How many times did you honk that horn? But you are not in a crisis situation. But you honked the horn anyway. Anything that you would perceive as a crisis... You would honk that horn. But it trained you, didn't it? God has given us multiple opportunities to listen to His Word. To yield to His Word. To yield to His voice in small situations. And every time that we decide, no, I'm going to go my way. I'm going to go with what I sense. I'm going to go with what I feel. I'm going to go with what I think. Every time we do that, we are training ourselves not to honk the horn correctly. 
not to drive on the right side of the road. Not to react the way that we're supposed to react. Every time we do that, and we're creating conflict, so that when we get into crisis, where or which way do we go? What do we rely on? We drivers on the right side of the road, we drivers on the left side of the road. See, crisis will show you. You've got to train yourself. You've got to get yourself going. Father, I've got an opportunity to obey you here. I've got an opportunity to think what your word says. I've got an opportunity not to go that way. I've got an opportunity to stay with what you said to do. So I'm going to continue and stay with what you said to do. I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to grumble. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to bicker. See, when Israel was going through the wilderness, how many times did God give him an opportunity to learn how to drive on the right side of the road? How many times did He teach him how to honk the horn in the center? He's teaching them. He's bringing them there. What do you do? Faith. He brings them to the water. I want you to rely on faith. Brings them into the no food situation. What's He was saying? Tells them. I want you to rely on faith. Brings them with enemies coming around. I want you to rely on Faith. He gives them situations that look like they're going to die. What's he saying? I want you to rely on faith. What did they rely on? Senses. My senses tell me we're going to die. I'm picking up the things aren't right. I see we don't have enough water. I see we don't have enough food. We're going to die. And they keep relying on that. How many times have you had situations? Have you had opportunities to walk in love? And you chose not to. To not grumble, gripe, and complain. And you chose not to. To read His Word. To pray. And build yourself up. Get yourself ready for whatever was coming your way. And you chose not to. To rely on sense realm instead of what the Spirit was telling you. And you chose not to. When the Spirit of God says, don't go that way, go this way. And you chose not to. He has constantly given us opportunities to train and to get ourselves ready to do it right. To do it correctly. So that when we are in a real crisis, we fall back on what our training is. This is why military is so much about training. 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 Because then in a crisis situation, you're trained, you're ready, you're going to do it correctly. You're going to go about this right. Get trained. Get yielded to God. Every situation you have, Father, I have a choice here to yield to you or to yield to something else. I'm going to yield to you. My senses are telling me not to. What I hear, what I think, is telling me to do something different. But your word tells me to do this. I'm going to stick with your word. Your spirit told me this. I'm going to stick with what you told me in your spirit. Yieldedness. Oh, it's important for us to do. We still have more to get into on this because this is important. All that we learn, yieldedness. Remember Creflo Dollar's statement. I think I had written in your last week's outline so you had it written down. I did write that in last week's, didn't I? For you? I thought I did. I know I wrote it in mine but that doesn't always mean I wrote it in yours. As long as I had room, I would have. Who is the most yielded? That's who's going to win. When I get into those situations like the disciples were in, I want to be the most yielded. I want to be the most yielded. Too many times people are claiming spiritual victory 
But they haven't heard from God. They heard from their senses. Oh, I want that. Because I want it, God must want it for me too. Because I want that. Hmm. I like that person. I want to marry that person. I think God wants me to marry that person. Hmm. Yeah. Sense realm passed off a spirit. And then we go off trying to claim it. Can't claim that person to be a husband or wife and we've gone over stuff like that before. You can't just go out there and claim it. It's a spiritual revelation. Spirit that comes up and says, yeah, that's it. Comes up, you have you have a light that comes on in your spirit. And I'll tell you what, how many of you had that light come on for a situation, whatever it might be, something you're getting into, a job maybe, taking a job, and all of a sudden the light came on and revelation came to you like, that is it. And it wasn't just something your head figured out. It was something that illuminated in your spirit. It was revelation that came to you. And you knew that was it. It was different from anything else. It's giving you glimpses. Was there God's training you? He's training you. He wants you to get an understanding of what it is to get that revelation in the spirit. And don't ever equate that to anything in the sense realm. Because it's not. It's different. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to discern between what is sense realm and what is spirit realm. To know for sure that when we receive things based on revelation, based on illumination, that nothing in the sense realm should override it. Nothing in the sense realm should override it. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. I give you the praise and the glory and the honor. Your word is great. What you have revealed to us is wonderful. We thank you for those things you have spoken to our spirit. We will hang on to those things. We will not let them go. We will not let those things that we pick up in our sense realm negate the things we receive in our spirit. Where we develop ourselves to become yielded to you so that victory in those times when doubt and unbelief wants to rise up that victory will be ours. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Any comments or questions or things to add? Yep. On the back page, very top number three, I didn't get that blank. Well, let's see if we can help you out with that. Bold. That one? Uh, number, th- oh, number three. Actions are produced based on the understanding I am given from what is received. Oh, I didn't fill them in, did I? Hmm. Just because you do something of little sense to your mind and five senses doesn't make it God. Though sometimes the people do things and they think because it doesn't make sense, it must be God. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't you run into people like that? Well, this doesn't make any sense in the natural, so it must be God. No, not usually. Can be. But not always. Sometimes you're just being stupid. Don't blame it on God. It is of God because it comes from His Spirit, not because it doesn't make sense. That's insulting to God. Whatever God does doesn't make sense. God is the most ordered being there is. We have laws in the universe to govern the entire universe because God is that ordered. 
We have laws that are so complex, we can't even understand a lot of them yet. But they all always work. They always go about. There are laws that govern it. There are laws, I don't know if you know about this, but there are laws that govern light. Sometimes we look at light, and how many of you remember back in your school days, if, I'm assuming that we all had the same kind of science classes, but light has weight. Do you all know that? There is a weight to light. Light is not just weightless. There is an actual weight to light. Because there is a weight and a mass to light, light can be bent by gravity. And if you go out into space, you will find places where light is bent by gravity. It has mass to it, but we don't understand it, nor can we even measure it, but it gets affected. Light is, is just one of those funny properties and they're trying to you know, figure it because there's a wave and then there's a ray and then there's light. And light has some properties of a wave and has some properties of a ray, but it, it hits somewhere in between and they can't quite figure it out. Light has a speed. Light is just amazing. And we don't understand all the things that govern light. But God does. And God put them in operation and they always work the way He put them in operation. God is the most ordered person there is. There is no one as ordered as God. There is no one who follows a greater order than He does. So to say that because it doesn't make sense, it must be God is an insult. God is very structured and very ordered. It is of God because it comes from His Spirit, not because it makes no sense. Many more are the times when it doesn't make sense and it isn't God. Most times that it doesn't make sense, folks, you will find out it is not God. But do not be one of those who hides behind this fact that, well, it doesn't make any sense to me, so God must be behind it. Because more than likely, that's a way you can fail. That's a, that's a way you can fail. No, don't be doing that. Get the, get the revelation from God. Understand what God has said. Does that make sense to you then? Alright, thanks for asking about that. I did forget to bypass all of them right on by.